What is going on? I want to welcome you from Half Court. I am Sean Murphy, and today I am joined by, I, you know, I was going to say something nice about Troy, like my rock, my foundation, my guide in the, in the world of being a Pistons fan, but like, this guy just came and tried to punch me over Zoom, so Troy, what's what's going on, man? What What are you harboring today? I'm just ready to kickstart, drop kick, lunch punch this NBA season. Lunch punch? Lunch punch. <laughs> Troy, that Okay, that broke me, but I absolutely love lunch punch. That's I I don't even have the ability to process that right now because this ladies and gentlemen is from Half Court, the NBA podcast where each and every week Troy and I sit down and talk all things NBA basketball. This is simply a po- NBA podcast made by fans for fans. So if you'd like that, be sure to leave a like because that really does help out the channel and it helps other basketball fans like you find this beautiful channel. Be sure to follow myself on Twitter at Sean Halfcourt and be sure to follow Troy at Troy Sergey 44. There will be some changes coming to the channel coming very soon that I just realized I forgot to tell Troy about. But this podcast and the way it runs ain't going nowhere, baby. So with that, it is time to start the show with our new ever-evolving segment that I'm going to call Simmons Watch, October 4th, 2021. Ben Simmons stranded on the island in Los Angeles, still trying to trick us into thinking he has a jump shot. Now, (laughs) Ben Simmons misses payment from the Philadelphia 76ers. Troy, what uh, what is your gut feeling going into Tuesday, October 5th on the Ben Simmons watch that we have going on. I think this is going to be our last podcast where Ben Simmons is a member of the Philadelphia 76. Really? Really? Okay. This stuff is just getting too, too stupid, too Too stupid. Too toxic, too stupid, too whatever you want to call it. Listen, the fact that Joel Embiid is upset that all the media attention is on Simmons versus Simmons, the guy who choked during the playoffs versus Joel Embiid, the real franchise player of that team, Mm -hmm. the guy who did show up to the NBA playoffs this past year Mm -hmm. and who is ready for training camp, who was a potential MVP candidate last year and the media is not talking about him. They're talking about the guy in LA who supposedly has a jump shot now. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, it, this is getting too ridiculous, too toxic, whatever you want to call it again. But yeah, I if Philadelphia is smart, they're going to take anything, they get. With, anything within reason that they can get, yes. Yeah, so um, just some updates because there has been a lot that's happened since we've last recorded. Um, So Ben Simmons did leak from his camp that another reason why he wants to leave the Philadelphia 76ers is not only because of everything that happened with the playoffs at the end of last year, um, not only about how he's been managed since the beginning of being a Philadelphia 76er, which you can certainly point out flaws. Nonetheless, he he didn't shoot the ball. But one of the things that he said as to why he wants to leave is because he does not want to play 
alongside Joel Embiid going forward. It has been reported that Ben Simmons would like to reportedly start at the four or the five and play in a system that is very similar to that of Giannis in the Milwaukee Bucks, where he has an open lane to the rim and can also dish it out to shooters. And in response, Joel Embiid cited to media, quote, our teams have always been built around Ben Simmons' needs, so it was kind of surprising to see what he, see what was said. You can go back to the reason we signed Al Horford. We got rid of Jimmy Butler, which I still think was a mistake, just to make sure that he needed the ball in his hands. It was also said that uh, by Joel Embiid that he felt that it was borderline disrespectful, which is a very striking change of tone, especially because of the fact that towards the beginning of training camp, the talks were way different, and Joel Embiid was more so talking about how he wanted to continue to play with Ben Simmons and how he wanted to continue to team with him. But now with Ben Simmons, clearly, um, allowing this to leak from his camp. Um, this is clearly, in my opinion, um, a chess move by the Ben Simmons camp because um, ultimately, if you get if you get Joel Embiid on the side of wanting Ben Simmons gone, then you you won because at that point is when the Philadelphia 76ers have to get rid of Ben Simmons, and I think we are at that point. Um, so that, that's my personal gut takeaway, but Troy, what, what, what hits, what hits for you listening to everything that's been said over the past week? I mean, I know you said it's all just stupid, but would you like to kind of elaborate on this part specifically? Yeah, I, I think, uh, what you said was really good with, um, you know, wanting a, I guess, offense that centers around him when last time I checked, I mean, he kind of played that point forward role that really much did have an offense surrounded around him. So, you know, I, I think when I hear that, I don't hear, I don't hear the voice of someone who wants to win, or especially win a championship, right? There's difference between winning, you know, uh, you know, a couple of playoff series and whatever, but to win a championship and that should be really the goal of any NBA player, let alone an NBA all-star. So I guess I hear a lot of self-centered, give me the ball. Mm -hmm. I'm in it for the paycheck and the stat line kind of, kind of talk in my opinion, which is unfortunate because I didn't really see that a ton in Ben Simmons character, but how he performed this past NBA playoffs if I were any GM, even of a low caliber team, like dare I say it, the Minnesota Timberwolves, I don't like hearing that language at all. Right. Yeah. I, I, I do agree that um, to a certain extent, I do feel that there is some self-centered tendencies to this because, I mean, to your point, he is it is really focused on around what kind of basketball he wants to play. Um, I, I think there's certainly merit to the fact that if he was put in that kind of position, that I think he could thrive, and I think a lot of in a lot of cases you can look at talent throughout the league and say that if they were in a different situation that maybe they can thrive. But I think Philly, not only did they give Ben Simmons all the tools that he needed to succeed, um, including but not limited to playing with Jimmy Butler, playing with Tobias Harris, playing with Al Horford, playing with Joel Embiid, um, and then on top of that, having vets like J.J. Redick, like Robert Covington at one point, Dario Saric. I mean, listen, there were there were a lot of pieces on this team that for a while really did fit really well 
around Ben Simmons. But I think what we saw not only last year, but the last couple of years is that eventually it was only going to come to, like we had to figure out who the franchise player was on this team, right? And Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were both kind of given this opportunity of, hey, it's time to prove yourself. And what did they do in those situations? Joel Embiid became a perennial MVP candidate. He became a, a top 10, perhaps even a top five player in the league. He's revitalized the center position. He's shown uh, certain skill sets that uh, people have likened to to Akeem Olajuwon. I mean, if we're having that kind of conversation, that is a special center, right? Whereas yeah. Ben Simmons, the conversation is going the other way of, well, it's clear that he's better than this. It's clear that that there is something there that is getting untapped as far as his potential. Because the thing is, if you if Ben Simmons could shoot 70% from the free throw line, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Like, imagine if he didn't fix any other part of his game other than his free throw shooting, we'd be talking about him as a top 10 player in the NBA because he can, yeah, like literally all that he has to do is get better at free throw shooting. So understandably, if I am a coach, if I am a front office member, if I am a fan of the Philadelphia 76ers, understandably so, I'm going to be a little pissed when I can tell you're not giving it your all and you're leaving something off the table. So that's just that's just where it is. So, you know, listen, ultimately, I do feel bad for Ben Simmons in the sense that he really is in a crappy situation where he feels like he has to go. He feels like he's in a situation where uh, the the Philadelphia 76ers fan base is putting him behind the eight ball a little bit because, you know, that does suck because ultimately it wasn't prime. It wasn't all his fault that they lost. But the thing is, is that you are the one who passed up that shot towards the end of the game seven. You are the one that absolutely botched free throw shooting in the playoffs. He shot 35% from the free throw line this postseason. Shaquille O'Neal shot 12% better as a a career playoff shooter. So that's going from pedestrian, like bad, to historically bad. So at the end of the day, like, you know, you could say that you're upset with what people are saying about you and that you want to go prove yourself. That's great. Your, Your chance to prove yourself was right there for the taking the entire time. So I hope he does get in a situation where he can thrive. I hope this is a wake up call, but listen, man, if it really is just, if you really don't take anything away from this situation and if you don't learn from it, um, then I think you're going to go down as the most talented bust to ever be a number one overall pick. And that's just my opinion. So um, that that's kind of, I don't know if you have anything to go off of on that, Troy, um, but I wanted to kind of, Pick your brain at the last statement you made. Yeah, yeah. Every number one pick, though, was talented to a degree, at least coming into the league. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I agree. And I think, so, and I think Ben Simmons has the highest ceiling of all of them. Okay, that's fair. That's I, fair. I, think, I just wanted you to say that, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think he is the guy, like, because, listen, when I think of a, of a high-quality, like, player that comes at the number one overall pick, I think of all-star appearances. I think of the big contract. I think of accolades in the league. And the crazy thing is Ben Simmons fits all of that. 
But he also might be the only number one pick that also fits being a bust because of the fact that he has gotten all of that and he still hasn't been worth the pick. He still hasn't justified the price tag. He still hasn't shown that he's even the best player out of his draft class. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I just think there's a lot of things that ultimately um, he's just kind of fumbled for himself. So, yeah, that's a better way of saying it. And and I would even make maybe go a step further of the biggest talented potential bust period, not just number Mm -hmm. one pick. Yeah. Not just one pick. Yeah. And, and, And the, and the thing that sucks is like everyone else, when you like talk about that list of players, Normally you think of those guys and you look at the injuries that they've had because like, oh, you know, like like a Penny Hardaway, right? People were talking about him being like a Kobe if he didn't ultimately have the injuries that he did. But now, I mean, obviously not not the story, right? So um, whereas with this, yeah, Grant Hill, same thing. But with this, it's not the conversation of, oh, well, what if he didn't get injured? It's what if he tried harder? And if that's not damning to a professional athlete, I don't know what is. But enough about the character of Ben Simmons, enough about all of that, because that's not even the last Ben Simmons story that we have, because other reports are suggesting that there are currently six teams that are looking into trading for the services of Ben Simmons. Now, just to note, this doesn't mean that any of these six pl- any of these six teams are actively shopping for Ben Simmons, but these are the six teams that are reportedly still inquiring is the wording that was used. And some of those teams include the Toronto Raptors, the Indiana Pacers, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Detroit Pistons. Now, before I turn the keys over to you, Troy, I'm going to take a moment. Let's pause and let's look at let's look at what these names say. Um, so first of all, this is not coming from Woj. This is not coming from uh, Shams. This is coming from Keith Pompey, who is a beat writer for the Sixers for the Philadelphia Inquirer. So. It is, it, it is a pretty good source. He's close to Philly, but he's only hearing one side of the story. He's not hearing the other. So these, these teams, if you look at the names, right? You got Minnesota, Indiana, Cleveland, Detroit, Toronto, and, and the Spurs. It's like if you were to take the six teams that are the most starving for, for talent in the league, right? Right. That's um, a good way of putting it. I also would say... um. I don't know if I even fully believe that that honestly I would say if I were to make any changes to this list and this and obviously I don't have any sources I'm just a fan this is just speculation I would imagine that you could take Detroit off of this list and put Sacramento on the list because to me if if I were to read that that list would be would make way more sense and it would be way more palpable right but I I think listen do I think Troy Weaver would, would, would make the phone call and listen? I think he would because I think at the end of the day, I think Troy Weaver is a great eye for talent. Detroit's primarily building off of defense. I can see an argument to be made for Ben Simmons as a defensive anchor and that kind of player to come in and potentially have playmaking abilities. And then you have two or three guys in the court and Killian, Ben Simmons, and Cade that could all potentially 
playmake on an elite level. But I don't see Detroit pulling the trigger because that trade would require trading Jeremy Grant, who they said no for four first-round picks in Boston last year. So um, I don't believe that that is credible. But Troy, of those six teams on that that have been listed that are in the market, what do you buy? Yeah, I buy Cleveland because it's Cleveland. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I I could see I could see an argument maybe for Toronto too, um, just because like like you said, I I see a team that's getting a little bit desperate, borderline hungry to a point of starvation mm-hmm. of talent wise as far as what they're searching mm-hmm. for to kind of rebuttal or rebuild their franchise around because I think they're still on some kind of weird 2019 high, even though Kawhi is long gone. Um, and Minnesota was on that list, right? Yep. And obviously they're the number one favorite for obvious reasons. We talked about last podcast uh, with him fitting that team somewhat well. Um, and, and I think making him a first or second option with cat would be a good, a good fit. So I, I see Cleveland probably, for some strange apparent reason being the team that would probably try to pull the gun the most. And I see Toronto as a close second with them just trying to put pieces together. And I see Minnesota probably as the most reasonable fit. Um, But I don't know how desperate they would be to try to pull that trigger. So, yeah, I think honestly right now, if I were to say a team that is in the driver's seat, in my opinion, I think it's the Indiana Pacers because I think, Oh my gosh. Well, um, let's talk about that. Yeah, so I think they're in the driver's seat because, first of all, I think they have the most assets to offer um, as far as draft capital goes. And if you're if uh, if you're Daryl Morey, what I what I see in draft capital is tradable assets, right? So um, actually getting assets in return for Ben Simmons, they could probably get one or two first round picks, possibly even some second round pick compensation for Ben Simmons as well. Um, so that's one thing because Indiana does have a decent amount of assets built up. Um, the other piece of it is, um, Rick Carlisle is the head coach of the Indiana Pacers, um, brought back to Indiana. And I think if you're looking at the Pacers, you have them on a five-year contract. You're probably going to want to keep Rick Carlisle relatively interested with staying an Indiana Pacer long-term. So what better way than getting a guy like Ben Simmons? And plus, let's face it, the Indiana Pacers have not exactly been very relevant over the past, oh, I don't know, 15 years outside of the Malice at the Palace. Even then, the only time people talk about him now is the Malice in the Palace. That's incredible. Well, hey, like, they made the Eastern Conference Finals in 2013. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, outside that, that was the exception to the rule. Like Paul George, like the story with Paul George was mostly when is he going to leave Indiana? And his answer was <laughs> ASAP. So, you know, and then the other thing was, wow. This this uh, Victor Oladipo guy, he's too good to be true. And he said, yep, I am. And so now all you have is, um, you know, you have Malcolm Brogdon, who, good player, but, like, he's the most Indiana Pacer player humanly possible. Just not going to wow you, but, like, you'll you'll blink and you'll have 17 points a game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have Karis LeVert. Yeah. Which right. a pairing of of Ben Simmons and Karis LeVert sounds pretty fun. Um, mark my words, if if there's a trade that happens in the next week, it's the Indiana Pacers. If the trade doesn't happen for another month, 
it's the it's the Minnesota Timberwolves because I think the other thing you have to consider they don't even have a proper front office right now in Minnesota. Do you think they're going to let the interim the yeah. interim president of basketball ops decide who's going to trade for Ben decide like what we're going to trade for Ben Simmons? Like that's that's too big of a responsibility. Now they could trust them. I could be wrong. They they're desperate. They probably want to pull the trigger, but I'm not I'm not exactly optimistic. Yeah, that interim could could come out as a hero if he gives like the littlest assets ever and, and, <laughs> and takes like the most desperate thing that the Sixers could offer. Also, can I just say too how annoyed Andre Drummond uh, it looks to Joel Embiid as a teammate so far? Like, can we point that out? Like, like you know, Joel Embiid leaving him hanging, all the side eye looks we get with them, like. He just doesn't look it just that's not going to last, is it? That's got to be a trade by the deadline. So, yeah, to think they were once rivals, right? Yeah, not not rivals. They hated each other. Yeah, that's that's that was beef. That was the beef and potatoes, man. But, okay, but we've talked about this on our podcast, like back in March when I was a special guest of of what possible scenario would a team be calling philadelphia and be like hey man what can i get for andre or what do you you want for andre a team that's looking to contend and possibly get like a a rebounder like you know like boston they're still in dire need of a big man but we saw last year with the lakers how much of a non-asset he was to the to the floor we saw Right, that is true. However, I think this is the first time Andre Drummond's actually felt pressure in the fact that this could actually be his last shot. Because here's okay. the thing. Here, okay. here, here's my argument, okay? Because when he was brought into L.A., he was brought in as a piece of their future. Frank Vogel said, we see Andre Drummond as a piece for the Lakers beyond. Like that, Like he was considered a cornerstone, even getting brought in off the buyout market, which people forget. And then to be to be benched in the playoffs like the way that he was, to be let go off the Lakers that's, roster that's the way my he, argument. <laughs> the way he was. Yeah, it is your argument. Because yes, I agree. This is the worst his stock has ever been. And there's no arguing that. My argument is his stock has never been lower. Therefore he's never been cheaper. And so if I'm the Boston Celtics, if I'm the Toronto Raptors, if I'm a team that's on the fence of either being a contender or a team that's looking to to acquire young assets to build around, I'm looking at Andre Drummond for how cheap he is and for how high his output could be and saying, if we don't like him, we'll just wave him. He's cheap. He's the sure. backup center in Philly right now. <laughs> this guy thought he was going to be on a max contract a year ago. Our fans were borderline talking about it too in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Andre literally said, do you remember the season he got traded going into yeah. that season? He yeah. said to the Detroit free press, this is this. I'm going to be a free agent this summer. I think I'm the only one that's due for a big contract. He legitimately thought that we were going to sign that piece of paper. And if we wouldn't, someone else would. Yes. It's 
crazy. Remember when there were rumors that Charlotte was going to sign him for ninety million? Even oh yeah. Charlotte, even Charlotte was like, "God no, please I forgot not." About that. But what did Cleveland end up signing him for? Was well, something... Cleveland. Well, Cleveland didn't sign him. He picked up his option. Remember, he picked okay, up his player right. option because that's, that's why right. he was going to be a free agent. That's right. Uh huh. Mm hmm. So. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, man. remember his times. first game with Cleveland? He made two threes. Dude, he only played thirty-three games in Cleveland. Isn't that nuts. nuts? Nuts. Yeah. So even Cleveland said, "Thank you." Next, okay, I'm gonna not make an Ariana Grande. We've been talking about Andre for a little bit too long, Sean. I know, I know. It absolutely, it absolutely just gets me. Okay, so the next topic: the Los Angeles Lakers. Unless, am I forgetting any news, Troy? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, yes, I did. One more thing. Um, Kate Cunningham, earlier today, um, did uh, miss practice. Um, it sounds reportedly, um, last week, Rod Beard of the Detroit Free Press, um, by the way, one of my favorite journalists regarding the Pistons. Yeah, very reliable source, um, too. Yep, my two favorite sources for the Pistons are James Williams III and Rod Beard. So, absolutely love those guys. Um, but Cade Cunningham did ter- did turn his ankle last week, so it does sound like he is dealing with a minor sprained ankle. And, Kate, and uh, even Coach Casey talked about it last week. You know, hey, it's training camp. People get dinged up in training camp. Might have turned his ankle a little bit. We're gonna play it. We're gonna play it safe. And so right now, they're saying that there is no timetable for Cade Cunningham to be back in training camp. Um, it sounds to me like either they're just gonna sit him until pr- the first preseason game, or just sit him out this week. So if if Cade does sit out this week of training camp, that's fine. You know what I mean? As long as he's there and he's still getting shots up, and he's still around his coaches and his teammates, and still being the Cade Cunningham that we all know as far as a, as far as a basketball guy, I think he's going to be fine. So, um, to me, this is not news. I would not say that Cade Cunningham is going to miss the season opener. There's no shot of that happening, in my opinion. Um, so, um, and then the other thing, um, unless, Troy, did you have anything to say on that, or do you think... I no, I mean, you, this is protocol for anything like that, especially yep. with someone with such a big name and upside yeah. as him. Yeah, our franchise guy, you know, got to gotta take care of him. So, um, you know, he just turned his ankle. Uh, he he even turned his ankle when he was in college at one point. So, um, you know, it, it happens. Um, the other piece is that uh, John, there are reports coming out of training camp that Cade Cunningham and John Beeline are working together. Um, one of the pretty cool things, John Beeline being one of our player development guys, um, he is working specifically. He, I think he's really known for his jump shooting expertise and the thing that he, that's kind of the primary thing he brings to the, to the table. And it sounds like for the player development of Cade Cunningham, looks like the primary focus right now is on his three point shot, namely to get that release higher. Um, and so Troy and I were we weren't debating, but I think we were viewing it a little differently before the podcast. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, Troy was kind of more, cause you were more of the opinion that it sounded like he was changing his jump shot, right? 
I mean, I, I knew that there was nothing fearful about it. Like, right, like changing, right. changing the jump shot to be a little more higher isn't anything out of the ordinary for someone like Kate who kind of has a lower, lower shot. Right. Nothing about the news surprised me. Right. But anything, any, I would view making your shot higher, higher release point to a degree is changing your shot. It, it is, it is to, to a degree. Yeah. To a degree. I, and I'm okay I, with that. I, yeah. I, I would say it's less changing his shot and more so, um, making an adjustment. Um, I, I think there's a different, like, I mean, obviously a, an adjustment is a type of change. But an adjustment Correct. is far more minute, far more, you know, because when you, when you talk about, I mean, obviously it's an adjustment to to have to change the the uh, arc of your shot and at what point you're releasing it and how high you're releasing it. And I think I think this is just like you know, for Cade, he's never really had to worry about anyone coming and blocking his shot as much, just because you know he was a taller guard and he really you know he did for the most part not have a ton of guys that would tower over him because you know he was Cade Cunningham. But you know, in the NBA. The guys that are going to be guarding him, um, you're probably not getting a ton of six three guys on you each and every night. You're probably getting six nine, six six, you know, around your height. So, um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think it's a good move. Um, and if there's anyone I trust as far as creating good jump shooters, John Beeline, he uh, mm-hmm. did a pretty darn good job at that at the University of Michigan, by the way. Mad. Um, which by the way, how, remember when a couple of years ago we were talking about the possibility of John Beeline, like, like, uh, before we hired Dwayne Casey, he was a candidate to come and be a coach for the Pistons. And now he's on Dwayne Casey's staff. Talk about a W for the Detroit Pistons getting, getting that guy to help with your player development. I mean, Troy, do you, is there a big difference to that or am I overthinking it? Um, no, I, I think that's a reasonable point. Uh, don't get too carried away with yourself. I'm not you getting carried away. The Wolverine over there. But um, no, I think it's great. He'll be great for player development. And I think that's what those two, like, you know, going off of your point of having those two, uh, you know, Dwayne Casey being the head coach and Beeline doing uh, some of the more player development stuff. I mean, those are the two mm-hmm. guys who, right? Like those, yeah. are the, those are the superior guys. I'm talking league wide, and yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. On, yeah, on your team is cool, um, and, but my view of it, you know, is long term. Right? right, I'm not looking at even just Cade, Killian, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay. I'm looking at maybe our first round pick next year too of what that will. Be oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I would like to look at this more of a long term five five year scope than just even the guys we have right now. If you want yeah. To go that route. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's why I'm glad John Beeline's here. Um, and so let me have my fun, dang it. Um, but with that, it is now time to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, Troy, the the day of the NBA draft, that was our day. You know what I mean? That was the day that the Detroit Pistons got to select Cade Cunningham. But all of a sudden, on the day of the NBA draft, just leading in a couple hours beforehand, the Los Angeles Lakers said, we got to have the attention. And so they decide, hey, we're going to make some trades. And at first, it was looking like the trade that was going to happen was they were going to bring back Buddy Heald from Sacramento. 
um, and a and a and a trade package. I was going to involve it was going to involve Buddy Heald. It was going to involve Contavious Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzma, the likes. But instead, the trade ended up being the the Washington Wizards sending their longtime franchise point guard Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers in exchange for Kyle Kuzma, in exchange for Montrezl Harrell, in exchange for Contavious Caldwell Pope. And I'm not going to lie. Um, so that trade, it went down. The very first thing that you did was you called me um, because we were going to be meeting at the Little Caesars Arena, but also we had to talk about this trade. Um, and Troy, do you remember what my gut reaction was? Why the heck would they do that? It makes no sense for the Los Angeles Lakers. Why is my, why is your impression to me? Why do I sound like Bernie Sanders? It is an outrage. It's, it's not good for the Los Angeles Lakers. The 1% like that. That sounds like Bernie. Okay. Anyway. So. Yeah, I think I thought it was a freaking terrible trade. And um as I've as I've let it marinate, I still don't like it. I still don't think it makes sense. But hey, it, it's certainly it's certainly the most Lakers trade possible. A flashy trade for a once uh, greater point guard than he ever was, than he actually is right now. Um for probably higher than you should have paid. And now it could either really pay off or really screw you over. So, hey, I'll sit down and watch the fireworks, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I like a little fireworks show. So, And I think, as weird as it is, I think the Lakers, I'm not sure if, okay, so they had a, a first-round exit this past year as the seventh mm-hmm. seed, yep. right? So I think with a healthy, a healthy team this year, that's a big what-if, but if the team uh-huh. remains healthy, I, I do think Westbrook does give them a little edge as far as flashy, as far as able to get to the hole, dish out, mm-hmm. um, triple doubles, right? Um, yeah, I have a hard time saying the Lakers got better, but I don't think they got worse. All right, yeah. So let's go over let's go over the trade as, as to what it officially was. Now I could go over the whole thing. Um, but to be honest with you, it turned out being a five-team trade just to make it happen. So um, I'm just going to read the parts that we need to read. So um, they traded, the Lakers traded Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrezl Harrell, and Kyle Kuzma to the Washington Wizards, which ended up having the Washington Wizards trading Russell Westbrook, a 2023 second-round draft pick, a 2024 second-round draft pick, and a 2028 second round draft pick to Los Angeles Lakers. It also had some pick swaps and all that stuff that were a part of it. The kind of monstrosity that makes that thing work on paper, right? And in addition, the um, the Los Angeles Lakers also signed Kendrick Nunn, Talon Horton Tucker, Dwight Howard, Wayne Ellington, Trevor Ariza, Malik Monk, Kent Bazemore, and Carmelo Anthony on the same day, officially, once the league off, once the league year opened officially, that deal went through. Um, in addition, um, they signed Pistons legend DeAndre Jordan on a contract, as well as Rajon Rondo, um, and 
traded Mark Gasol to the Memphis Grizzlies, who is now just retired. So, yeah, there was a lot that happened, Troy. Another Pistons legend, too, Sean. Yeah, another Pistons. No, two Pistons legends. Trevor Ariza and Wayne oh. Ellington. I was, I was thinking more Wayne Ellington. But. Hey, Pistons, Pistons legend Trevor Ariza. Trevor Ariza, absolutely great work for us last year. Didn't play for us, so we got the number one pick, and he played for Oklahoma City, and they did not. So that is all that matters. They also let walk the player in the NBA that blew the biggest payday. So good for them. Why am I blanking on his name right now? What the heck? Um, he he signed with the Boston Celtics. He was a point guard. They offered four years, $84 million. Is it Landry Shamit? Yeah. No, it's not Landry Shamit. I'm thinking about Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, why was I blanking on his name? What the heck? I'm... I'm <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, Dennis Schroeder. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, why was I blanking on Dennis Schroeder? What's wrong with me today? My goodness. But... Yeah, so they had a rather action-packed, chaotic season. Um, this also is the oldest roster in the NBA and one of the oldest rosters in the history of the NBA. So, um, you know, a lot of flashy names on paper. Um, you know, not quite prime Carmelo Anthony, not quite prime Dwight Howard, but, you know, definitely not prime DeAndre Jordan. But, hey, they uh, they got some depth at the big they um, added shooters who, if they stay healthy and can be and can be serviceable, then that could be good enough to get you to the finals. That's how the West is. If, but ultimately, to me, and I don't think this is a secret to anybody, that the the X factor for the Los Angeles Lakers is that they will only go as far as Anthony Davis takes them. Yeah. No and, ifs, ands, or buts. About and that it. is, at the end of the day, what it comes down to. So, um, Media Day was rather interesting with them. Did you watch any of the Lakers stuff for Media Day, Troy? Uh, Rajon Rondo said uh, that Westbrook is out to get him. I did not see that. Yeah, that happened. What How the? come I see the little tiny random stuff and you see all the big stuff? Because I don't know where you're looking, Troy. We gotta I gotta get you I gotta get you ready for, for how to Twitter. We got I look at uh Stephen A. That was on Stephen A. That was on the take. Oh, you get your stuff from first take? Yeah. I get that explains it. First take. Yeah. That explains it. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> Um, so Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis actually did their session together on media day. Either that or they actually just, I think they just did a session like after practice one day. Um, and Russell Westbrook said that he was going to push Anthony Davis each and every night and that he feels like it's his job to push Anthony Davis to be the best that he can be. My question is what the hell does it say about you that you have to bring in Russell Westbrook to push you every night to be the best that you could be? Why do you need that for a superstar? You don't. I don't think you need that. Yeah, I was going to say that. You don't need that at all. You shouldn't. That's that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for, for what's wrong, there it is right there. I mean, I don't know about you, but 
if there's anyone that's even questioning my drive, that is a pro- especially coming off of a season where you were the defending NBA champions and now people are questioning your effort? I mean, and don't get me wrong, he came into camp and he looks like he's in really good shape. But he's not, but but he it's not like he comes in terrible shape every year. I mean, last year he did. It was a well-known, it was, it was a hit. It was not a well-kept secret that he was not ready for an NBA season last year. Um, but you know, I, and it Troy, caught up to him at the end of the year, right? Yeah. The yeah. Do you, do you think it is effort or do you think there's parts of his game that are holding him back too? Like, what, what do you think? I don't think it's effort to be honest. Like I view that as kind of a cocky statement from Westbrook. I mean, I think I don't know if it's cocky. I think I think say what you will about Russell Westbrook, but the one thing you can't really question from him is his effort. Sure, sure. No, no, I see that. But going back to Davis, um, yeah. I, to be honest, I didn't think he looked insanely in shape. To be honest with you, like with with the highlights from the preseason game against the Nets the other day. But I think he's he means business. Mm-hmm. Um, He's going to be giving it at all. And like you said, the Lakers' success does depend on him, not LeBron, mm-hmm. not Dwight Howard, not Westbrook. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, breaking news, you heard it here first. It is yeah. not on Dwight Howard. We are not right. expecting that. All right. So at the end of the day, it's going to come down to um, AD and his performance. And at the end of the day, I don't. if I'm a Lakers fan, that doesn't necessarily scare me to a degree because i i think ad has it together you know i think he's mm-hmm. uh the best offensive seven footer in the game Kevin Durant. Uh, okay I, I i still don't really view him as seven feet but you're right yes tech by technical standpoint you're right yeah it's on to the kumbo Okay, 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 okay. A year ago right now, I wouldn't have said Giannis is better than AD, but after that playoff yeah. performance. After that finals run, man, yeah, that, yeah. that changed everything for me. It really, Yeah, same here. Okay, I forgot Giannis existed, but uh, we're back. <laughs> um, and, and yes, no, but, but seriously, Giannis and AD play different, though. They yeah, play different definitely, styles. Definitely, and I, I, yeah. think, I think with that being said um, – yeah, there's no one like AD really in the league that can put up his type of stats. Right. Um, so with that being said, I'm not too worried if I'm a Laker fan. I'm just worried about health more than anything. Like, like seriously, like, like I don't. Right. If I'm a Laker fan, I do put my faith in AD, a healthy right. AD. But. To be fair, to be fair, um, obviously freak in, freak injuries happen, freak accidents happen, but injuries also do happen to players that come in come into camp out of shape. And I do mm-hmm. think it is fair to say that um, that health is also tied to your conditioning. It's tied to what you're doing in the offseason. Because that's always been the gripe and the talk about Anthony Davis in the background is the fact that people just don't think he works that hard in the offseason, that he takes it that seriously. Um, I would imagine, and I expect that that's different, especially if you want to stay a Laker, especially if you want to stay a teammate with LeBron James. Because here's here's the, here's the piece we're not talking about. Um if Anthony Davis doesn't get it together this year, are changes going to come to the Lakers? Because I know there's a guy uh, a couple states north of you up in Oregon 
playing for the Trailblazers, that would be happy to to be to be teammates with LeBron James. I, I'm Daytime. sure I'm sure Portland would not mind having Anthony Davis on their team. So I'm not saying that's even on the table. I'm not. That's not going to happen. But it is the point that Anthony Davis knows that at a certain point you got to put up or shut up. And I think now is the time that he's going to really grow as a player. And I think this is when we're going to see Anthony Davis go from an all-star to a superstar. That is, if, if that happens, I see the Los Angeles Lakers making it to the finals. However, if it doesn't, I think you could very realistically see teams like the Utah Jazz, like like the Phoenix Suns, who knocked them out last year. You could look at teams like even a healthy Golden State Warriors and look look at those teams and say that is a legitimate threat. Because let's be honest, there are plenty of players in the Western Conference right now that are hungry. And there are a lot of players in the Western Conference that are coming for that crown and coming for that spot. So even though the Western Conference is not what it used to be, that doesn't mean it's not still damn tough because, oh my goodness, screw being in that conference, man. Um, so, I, you know, ultimately, I'm going to give this offseason for the Los Angeles Lakers a solid B. I don't love the trade, but they did make changes after getting out from the first round. Um, and ultimately I think they're in a situation where it is championship or bust. And I think we're leaning towards bust. So that's my grade. I'm going to say a B plus. Listen, when you get out the way that they got out last year mm-hmm. in an embarrassing seventh seed to begin with and to get your rear end smoked to you by a Phoenix Suns yeah, team. They, people forget they were in a play in game. The right, Los Angeles correct. Lakers had to play in the play in tournament. Right. So if you do that, I think the easy thing with that talent, to be honest, like I'm serious, the easy thing with that talent is not to change much mm-hmm. with the talent, even though even though they had such a uh, embarrassing performance in the regular season and playoffs, the mm-hmm. easy thing is just trust that that was a fluke Mm -hmm. trust your main core trust ad and lebron and and keep going but no they did go out and adjust some things and get a westbrook who's gonna probably spark some things up this year Mm -hmm. um i think you definitely you you put anthony davis in a situation where he's going to be hungry and ready to to like you said put up or shut up um and you know you do have an aging lebron that i think is very much thinking about his legacy five, 10 years down the road, mm-hmm. uh, eternity, let's just say it right down the road. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think he's in the situation now with these, with the core that he has now, because I, I think this might be okay. It's obviously the oldest team. We haven't even talked about Carmelo Anthony yet. Mm-hmm. Um, this might be one of the oldest teams that is competing for a championship ever. Right, that's ever been assembled. Besides yeah, that, it, it is it is one of the top in history. I think the yeah. only I think the only team in the history of the league that is older than this team is the ninety seven ninety eight Bulls. So yeah, right, um, right, right. So with yeah. that being said, you got hungry guys. You have you you bring in a new hungry a new type of hungry guy like Westbrook. I think mm-hmm. too um, that no, I I can't really give them anything lower than a B plus, in my opinion. So yeah, that's fair. I, I will say, though, and, and I will counter, 
Um, we haven't talked about Carmelo yet, and my reasoning is, what's there to discuss? That's yeah, we don't take. really need to. Yeah, because mm-hmm. here's the thing. Carmelo Anthony will bring you 10 points a game. He will yeah. bring you 20 minutes a night, and in the playoffs, you either get him for a quick spark off the bench to give you some points, or if he's not producing, you sit him for the rest of the series, and that's going to be Carmelo Anthony. I think the only other guys on that team that could be potential spark plugs are Malik Monk and Kendrick mm-hmm. Nunn. But even then, but even then, um, there is a reason why they're where they're at now. Um, and Malik Monk, he was one of those guys that was thought of pretty highly coming out of the draft and coming to the Charlotte Hornets. And there were points where he could put up 30 points in a game, but um, that didn't happen very often. And so he is in a situation where if he can get you a couple wins a season, I, t- I was uh, listening to Brian Windhorst from the jump talk about this actually earlier today and just talk about, you know, how he can be a spark plug player and how he can come in and make an impact. But ultimately, um, you know, he's, He's not expected to do much else, and I think even though it was a surprise that he got to that point and had to sign with the Lakers, um, I would say there's a reason why. So I think it's just an important reminder. Sure. Um, Sure. But with that, Troy, it is now time for us to head to Mount Rushmore and take a stop at Legacy Lane. That's right. You thought I was going to mess it up, but I didn't. We are now talking about a new player on our legacy series troy who yeah. is it that we're talking and this about is today? actually as of for now we might jump back who knows weeks months down the line but this is going to conclude our legacy series so to do a little refreshing uh first one we did was stefan marbury ah uh, yes second person we did was richard rip hamilton rip hamilton yes sir third person we did was antoine jameson Antoine Jameson. Fourth person we did was the Elton Brand. Elton Brand. No, you call him. What's his name? Chief Stew or whatever. What oh, they call him? hold on. Let me pull it up. I forgot Chief about that. Beef. Chief Beef. Yeah, it was it was Beef Key for something like that. Let me pull it up though, because that's important to not get wrong. It's it worth, is. It's worth bringing up again. It's Chief Beef. Chief Beef. There we Chief go. Chief Beef. Elton Brand. Otherwise and also known as Slant, Horse, Old School Chevy, and E.B. I, I think I think Old School Chevy actually does do justice for Elton Brand. It does, but it also just kind of feels like an insult. Boy, you ain't nothing more than an Old School Chevy. anyways our fifth and final legacy at the small forward position season one right Mm -hmm. is going to be the ninth pick in the 1999 nba draft the four-time nba all-star from unlv the sean marion sean marion not Sean Murphy, Sean Not Marion. Sean Murphy, definitely not me. Sean Marion, a.k.a. The Matrix. The Matrix, wow. Mm-hmm. That's, wow. Actually, that's actually a sick nickname. That is kind of a cool nickname. So, Sean Marion, you know, he comes to the league, I believe, with the Phoenix Suns first, if I had to guess. Uh, bumbled around mm-hmm. a little bit till he found Dallas. Uh, where he had majority of his career and probably the most success with the Mavericks. Well, that was the 
Yeah, they were finishing number one in the, in the West that that mid that mid to late two thousands year uh, with Dirk and stuff. Unfortunately, one of the years I think they they had the best record in the league, but then they got knocked out in the first round. The, the eighth seeded Baron Davis Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. So uh, that maybe do does a little bit of uh, tarnish on Sean Marion's legacy, but whatever but he was a part of some really good teams a starter on some really good mavericks teams uh in kind of dirk's peak uh what's interesting about dirk uh, we're not talking about dirk but dirk really when he won that championship in 2011 against lebron in the heat that was not peak dirk right that was that was kind of downfall dirk that now, won that, yeah, that was kind of like the beginning of the end yeah that, yeah that was like his final year of productivity it felt like right so sean Marin was a was a second third or probably a third option on that Mavericks team where Dirk was having his peak mm-hmm. uh, so he he was very much a role to to top three option on the best team in the league mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty cool that that's super cool to think about um so Sean Marion does that uh what's interesting about Sean Marion is he had that jump shot that really oh that jump, jump shot. shot no that, that... jump shot um, ah, that, that literally looked like this one kid on my fifth grade basketball team. <laughs> Shout out to whoever that kid was. Shout out to whoever that kid was. Um, so, Troy, I hate to stop you, but did you say the most notable years of Sean Marion's career is when he was a Dallas Maverick? Yeah, but probably the Suns was a little bit too. Oh, the Raptors too. He had a good stunt with the Raptors. Okay, so let's start with this. So, Phoenix Suns from yeah. from two thousand to two thousand eight, right? Or two thousand seven was his last year there. Oh six, oh seven was his last year there. Amari Stoudemire, Steve Nash, Suns. Sean Marion, four-time All-Star, all of his All-Star appearances as a Phoenix Sun, averaged up to 21.8 points a game, that different athlete on the court, that defensive specialist that could also get you a bucket, the one time that his three-point shot was actually halfway decent, that guy, Sean Marion, it's yeah, not that the guy, first, Sean Marion. Is not the first Sean Marion that comes to mind? I guess I wasn't okay. <laughs> this is where my naiveness gets in the way because I I was not an NBA fan. I was too young to remember those years. Okay. So I'm thinking of Sean Marion as the Dallas Maverick, who very well was still very much serviceable. But you're right. Yeah, definitely we're serviceable. About legacies. Yeah, don't get me wrong. About legacies, we are definitely probably going to have to talk about his Phoenix Suns years because yes, and I think that probably even makes a point of. I, the host of this segment, uh, forgot about that years because those were very underrated years. And I think a mm-hmm. lot of the players we talked about, like even Antoine Jameson with the with the Wizards and Elton Brand, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the Clippers. I mean, those were very serviceable stats mm-hmm. and forgotten, really. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I wanted to do this series to begin with was because these guys put up bucket number stats, like mm-hmm. seriously. 
and we don't really talk about them anymore. We talk about the memes towards the end of the career because that's when we got, we're like middle school or whatever. But um, what I love about Sean Marion is that, yeah, he could get a bucket. He was serviceable. He could get to the hole too. Mm-hmm. Very aggressive, very athletic mm-hmm. uh, uh, to the to the hole. So I think that the fact that you had to call me out on that, I think proves a point to why we needed to do a series on legacies and why we needed to especially do one on Sean Marion. Oh, I appreciate um, that. And uh, yeah, that's that Suns team was definitely um, underrated for sure. And I, Nash won an MVP there too. So yeah. the fact that Marion played under under Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire as well as you know the Dirk and the Jason Terry uh, squad too. That does a yeah. lot of justice to yeah. his and his and his ability to go to Dallas and ultimately get the championship that eluded him in Phoenix mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is a great right. step of his career. Right. Um, I will say, um, as uh, as someone that was a big fan of that Phoenix Suns team back in the day, that did dread every single time that Detroit had to play them on the calendar. They were the one team that I did not look forward to playing because I just, I never was confident we could beat them because they were just so explosive. The year that the year that the, that the San Antonio Spurs ultimately faced us in the finals, mm-hmm. um, there's a case that should have been the Suns that year. There were multiple cases. Like I, I even remember the last year Sean Marion was there and kind of like the beginning of the end in Phoenix, like the ultimate moment. Like there was a, there was a series where they played the San Antonio Spurs in the Western conference finals. And then all of a sudden, like Steve Nash got heavily fouled by a San Antonio Spurs player to the point where he was side checked yeah. into, yeah. into the scores scoring mm-hmm. table. Like yep. it yeah. was gruesome. And so, right. If that didn't happen, you could very easily make an argument that the Phoenix Suns would have had an NBA championship back then. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Sean Marion was just as someone just to touch on that first piece. He was a bucket. Yeah, absolute absolutely. bucket. So, absolutely. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, Troy. No, no, that, that's all. That's all fair game because I think the teams that he played for I think do justice of his performance too that he was a Mm -hmm. part of that that he was a rock solid piece of that cornerstone Mm -hmm. um so yeah Sean Marion great um Raptors he played a little bit after Dallas Mm that's kind of the start of the end right yep so we'll play a game we'll play a game so he's been on five teams in his career right okay okay we got the Phoenix Suns Got the Dallas Mavericks. You already Toronto. said Toronto. You said what were the other two? I know Cleveland at the end. Mm-hmm. But then he Let also me. played for two years before he got to Dallas. He played Ooh. for two years, and this was even before he got to Toronto. Okay, so this is before Toronto. Mm-hmm. He played and after Dallas. He played for a year and a half on this team. Okay, give me give me two. No, get. no, before Dallas, before Dallas. It was after Phoenix, before Toronto, which was before Dallas. Okay, Miami. Miami, that is correct. Oh my gosh, I got it. Uh huh. He was he was on that Miami squad with the end of Shaq, and uh, with, towards the end of Shaq and Dwayne Wade That's- playing together. And peak Dwayne Wade, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. I do know. I I knew. I knew it couldn't have been any of the Western teams. I knew mm-hmm. it couldn't have been any of like the Hornets or Celtics right. kind of 
teams. Yeah, yeah. He, he was just so, one of those guys where just he kind of looked like he could fit in a Heat uniform. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. that was – dude, that was my guess. And I knew it couldn't have been Houston, so. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> that's good. It's really good. Um, by the way, Troy, um, current Hall of Fame probability. Ooh, this is important. According to basketball reference, what is your guess? 9%. It is at 75.6%. Oh. Which I find surprising. We might really, we might actually probably more than likely, it's good to bet money on it, that we will see Sean Marion in the Hall of Fame. We very well could. Um, Other players around his percentile right now, um, Kawhi Leonard, Joe Dumars, Sean Marion, Dennis Rodman, and Kevin Love. is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and that's the thing is a lot of these people that are surrounding him are already in the Hall of Fame. So, to your point, we very well could see him as a Hall of Fame player. He did retire in 2015 so we are at the point where he is an active candidate to be a hall of fame member so um that would be pretty cool the first player on this list that gets to yeah yeah and i guess player. the only one that had a somewhat upside was stefan marbury and it wasn't really for his nba performance but his right. Chinese performance. yeah 100 so we'll have yeah. to see about that one hey, too hey but... he has his own museum he right. has his own museum. By so, the way, he has his own museum. Yeah, just in case you forget. Just in case you forget. Uh, but, Troy, that is going to do it this week from Half Court. Only a couple more episodes come out until we ultimately get to meet and hang out in Detroit. Two weeks from Wednesday, my guy. That's right. We get to see Cade Cunningham in Opening action. night. Yep. So... With that, I want to thank you so much for joining. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean Halfcourt. You can follow Troy on Twitter at TroySergi44. This has been From Half Court, where each and every week we sit down and talk all things NBA basketball. Be sure to leave a like. Be sure to subscribe and comment below what you think of the Los Angeles Lakers. And with that, I will thank you so much for joining, and I will catch you next time from Half Court. Be sure to subscribe. 